0: It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. You know, we're pushing into the hundreds now, right? And it feels it feels good. It feels, you know, exciting, but it also feels a little bit unsettling. It feels a little bit um like maybe at one point a month ago, we felt like we we knew what we were doing in this space, and now it feels like things are getting a little out of control and I don't know. Today, today's been like a music day for me, and I am a big Dave Matthews Band fan. Uh, I'm not going to play any of his music or sing any of his music because I know he is a little bit uh, anal about uh, the copyright or playing your songs. But you know, I, I kind of wanted to theme this episode on this. You know, some of the titles from his songs, right? With this idea of like, we spend a lot of our time like really focused on where we are going right like where are we going in the future what is how are we going to get mass adoption what is the next blue chip where where are all the utility and the roadmap and things are going but then we don't i don't think like for me we're not spending enough time really in that space between right the space between understanding kind of like the some of the nuances and as these different uh trends kind of emerge and change it's also going to change or shift uh, the way that we're doing things. And then I think on top of that, you know, one of the things that I stress a lot here on this podcast, and I feel like it's a soapbox that I won't be getting off anytime soon. So for those that may be thinking, like, oh, maybe Brian's going to get off the soapbox at some point, um, probably not going to happen. And that's that, like, each person that's listening to this podcast, everybody that is listening and watching and part of this, you know, experience, you know, everyone has like kind of their own version of what success looks like. And I think any of us would sign up for a blue chip, right? Any of us would sign up for an opportunity to have like a really amazing NFT, like just pop off and you make that hundred X, right? The next board yacht club. But I think we like, actually there's way too much time actually focused on that and trying to get like lucky in the lottery on like where we are going and not enough time looking at like kind of the mechanics and things that are, are kind of happening, uh, across our landscape. And I want to kind of touch a couple of things, you know, um, there's a project coming out, uh, today, the invisible friends, uh, actually I think it's minting. Uh, they did a charity, uh, auction for their, their one of one gold and it sold for 500 ETH. So kudos to them. Uh, and the project's really interesting, right? They, they, one of the trends that we're seeing right now is that, you know, I've complained a lot about like the whitelist grinding, um, and like the good old boys club. And what we're seeing, uh, and we're seeing this on, um, and loser club. We're seeing this on invisible friends. We're seeing this in star catchers. Uh, a lot of these projects that have come out recently that they're actually. Uh, you're making their discords, making their environments private. They're actually making it really hard and exclusive for you to get in behind like those gated walls. And one of the trends that I predicted, I think it's back on like episode, it actually might be episode one of this podcast. If it's not episode one, it's like in those first three episodes was I predicted that we're going to see, we're going to see a trend You know, in the springtime of people playing with the collection numbers, not only in how that they're they're doing the NFT drops, but even in total collections. Right. Because, I mean, basic supply and demand. I think we all know how that works. Right. If there's less supply and equal demand to what it has on other projects of course the value is going to increase and so like the idea that every project has to be a 10,000 uh, piece collection or you know or around that right like some collections do it a 11193 like the meta whips or 9998 or whatever that may be but like i actually feel we are we're going to see more collections kind of not only you know cuz like we have this like genesis founders uh, passes and then like phase two and phase three, phase four. But I'm really interested in the idea of like you know I'm I'm so a fan of of expansion projects, right? And we have derivative projects and 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 expansion projects and derivative projects are without question a necessary evil. Um, and I don't even think they're evil. I, I'm a huge fan of of multiple expansion projects, but in in a way they are they're actually more They're more a byproduct on the fact that a lot of the entry point, a lot of the mainstream attention that we're seeing um, in this space comes from people that see a bored ape. But then they realize that they can't afford a board ape, so they're like, "Oh well, the board apes have the mutant apes, and then they realize now they can't afford a mutant ape and like where is that ex that entry point because maybe it is the ape art that people are attracted to, and one of the things that I think we're we're seeing more and more of is that you know we have like the expansion apes, um which I'm a fan of as well and and a project holder, but the bigger piece of this is like invisible friends. Um, is dropping as a 5,000-piece collection, right? So they're only going to have 5,000 um, in their collection. But I actually think one of the things that they did, probably in my opinion, like uh, very strategic from like, and, and this is just me guessing. I don't have – I wasn't on the white list. Or I didn't I – I'm not part of the project. I'm not minting one right now. So um, as I feel like the floor price is going to be um, out of this world pretty quickly. But one of the things that they did from the outside in – is they made it? They made the barrier to entry a very like methodic process, right? So what I'm what I mean by that is like if you wanted to get on their their inside of their Discord and part of their you know their presale list, you had to do things like fan art or participate in their games or get a a po op or multiple po ops. Uh, and, and real quick, huge shout out to all of you that are out there that are playing in our our very first pop uh, proof of podcast uh, that we just dropped, uh, two episodes ago. Holy cow. Uh, I will tell you, I'm I'm sorry. The website's a little slower, uh, than we planned, but, uh, it's because I didn't know that so many of you that were going to, uh, jump in and participate, but back to invisible friends, what they did is they made it really hard, hard and, and required a lot of effort to get into that community to get, to get the access to spend your money on something. And so the byproduct of this, like the reason I actually think of this as like a really interesting trend is that if you work really hard to get into something and you get inside of it and you really like it, guess what? The likelihood of you actually being able, of you, you know, staying in the project, right? Well, actually, I think let's flip it the other way. The likelihood of you buying with your whitelist spot goes up because you worked so hard to get in there. The likelihood of you buying and holding onto it goes up because you're like, hey, I, I worked that hard. I want to be a part of this community long term, and so in a way, that can be like a very exciting, uh, you know, byproduct. And uh, and I think you know one of the things we have to kind of look at there is like that can be a benefit, but it also can be kind of a limitation, right? And you know, I've talked about this on the podcast pretty often um, that like you know the total amount of holders versus the total amount of supply, there's like a sweet spot in there, right? Because like the crypto dads, they have a lot of individual holders, one of the highest individual holder projects. But that means there's not a lot of supply. Now, the beauty of this, and this is what I call the, the, the space between, um, the space between is that, you know, there's a, there's a magic in the sense of if there's not as many people putting their NFTs up for sale, that means you have a better chance of controlling the floor price, right? So if there's if there's only you know let's say there's only five percent of a total of a ten thousand piece collection that are currently up for sale, the the opportunity to buy up the floor, buy up the lowest priced ones, um, is higher, right? There's a lot less in that, um, in that like kind of levels, and and you'll hear people talking about that on Twitter a lot. It's something that I watch a lot. Is like the floor price, I don't really care about. What I care about is like. How many are listed at the floor? What is the price gap? And then the thing I, I, I like to always pay attention to is like, what is the average sale of an NFT look like? What, you know like what are the, the average sales um, that they're a part of? But the thing that I actually think is interesting when we look at this, like taking a step back, is it actually goes into what I've talked about for eight years, is if you focus on building taking your your early fans. Turning them into super fans, turning your super fans into your like mega fan, like the, the lifelongers, right? Like the season ticket holders, right? And then what happens is they end up doing some of the onboarding and marketing for you. But there's also another byproduct to this, is that when people like love their their NFT project, when people are are, are so committed to it that it's their profile photo, maybe they buy the merchandise, um, maybe they put the the you know put the things on the wall. The likelihood of them selling it because all of a sudden the price goes down, right? Or or getting scared and like or like hitting a, a a certain price point and then and then ejecting is actually goes down, right? Because they're like pot committed, right? And I always like to tie things back to poker references, but like once you're pot committed, you're not folding, right? You're like I already I already put in so much money that my percentage in makes me the worthwhile of me like you know like the chance I have of winning this hand is equal to or greater the amount of money I've already committed to this pot that I might have to already commit on top of that. So I'm all in no matter what, right? Like, it's like, that's a poker reference, but that also exists here in this NFT space. And so the the interesting part of this is that there's also different, like like, um, emerging kind of uh, ebbs and flows of these different NFT projects. And like, this is why for me, weirdly, I've spent the last three days... Not focused as much about what are the upcoming NFT projects. But I've actually been going back and looking at projects in November, in December and January and trying to better understand the trends. One of them, for example, is the MFers. Uh, Anyone that's familiar with the MFers, it's kind of it's like kind of it's a meme style um, NFT. Uh, And, you know, for me, I actually got in on an MFer right at the very beginning um, and I ended up flipping it. I flipped it pretty early because I was like, oh, this is cool art's kind of uh, decent. And I may, I doubled my money, I think in 48 hours. Um, but I kind of wish I held on to it now because I think I sold it at like 0. 0.6 ETH and I believe the floor now for MFers is somewhere in like the five ETH mark. But the reason I wanted to share that one was I wanted to go back and look at like, what were some of the things that changed in that project from those early days to this like rocket ship that it's on right now. And in in some cases we don't know right there's too many variables right like did all of a sudden people in the discord just like really rally together did all of a sudden the public attention to the project all of a sudden come in and people are willing to pay more for it did people did one whale come in and buy up a bunch of them so that they can control the market control the floor those type of things like like the the variables when we're studying especially when we're monday morning quarterbacking right we're going back um can be very little bit very overwhelming but I like to look at like the kind of like the more macro trends of it, right? Like even something like how long after the art reveal did the project come back to its highest point? So this is like a, this is one of the numbers that I've been looking at a lot lately was that if it takes a longer time for a project to come back to its highest pre-reveal price, then it's actually a trend that I've noticed that it's actually gonna be a much you know longer grind of that project. Now, with that being said, there's also this idea of like, what goes up must come down, right? And like, we we know that's that's part of this you know, conversation as well. But I think the beauty of that is like, things will go up, then the market will correct itself and it'll come down, like, it'll go up 100%, it'll come down about 30%, uh, and it'll go back up about 60%, right? And so you're kind of slowly going up on that market. But there's other projects that have gone up and then completely fallen down. And now have taken a long time to even make up half of their total value that the, of their height that they were at one time. Now, why is all of this important? Because for me, one of the things we talk a lot about is like mass adoption, Coinbase coming on, um, where are things going? But here's the funny part about this is that I believe a lot of the current NFT projects are are, are going to have a choice of innovating not just having a metaverse, not just buying land on NFT worlds or Decentraland, not just having um, a, a, a you know a very active Discord, but like what is the role of like AR and VR? What is the role of bringing in new artists? What is your onboarding strategy for getting new people into the mart into the project when the floor price hits a certain amount? Right, I don't think a lot of projects are actually thinking about that. Right, like when your when your NFT project reaches a five ETH floor, which right now who know? I mean, let's just say when it when you're when the the minimum to get into your project is ten thousand USD or higher, what are you going? How are you going to bring in new blood or people that want to be fully active with your project? that can't afford that that higher entry point, right? And we've seen you know projects, you know, with the uh you know the, the derivatives of that, or like the lazy lions are doing the the cubs and there's lots of these these different other pieces. Other projects have actually taken a different approach and they're doing multiple NFTs into one. Right, so Psychedelics Anonymous, which is a project that I uh, minted myself. I'm a huge fan of that project. Uh, I'm trying my best to get uh, the founder, Voltra, on the on the actual podcast. But one of the things I like that that he did on that project was you have your Genesis NFT, but then there's also three additional NFTs. Like one's a merchandise one, one's a Metaverse NFT access, one's a, an IRL um, NFT uh, access pass. And I think that's a really creative way of of allowing people to kind of build their bag, to sell their NFTs, to buy buy additional ones without having to buy like the main NFT. And so, all of this to me kind of plays into a couple different realms, right? And I know, I, I and I believe. I, I don't, I don't like saying, like, I'm the one that coined a term, but I do believe I coined the slow burn concept, right? I think if you go back and look at uh, uh, episode three or four, I, I came up with that term. I, I made it up on the fly. Um, and maybe someone else said it before me. And I don't really... Actually, can- you know, it's funny because, you know, I, one of the things I, with the slow burn is I never want to force people or have people think that they shouldn't, well, press the damn button. And for those that are tuning in and playing along with our POP, our proof of podcast game, the secret word today is press the damn button. I guess it's the secret phrase, not the secret word. But back to this idea of slow burns. One of the things that I've noticed with slow burn projects is that there's a difference between a slow burn project and a project that has lost momentum. There is a difference between a slow burn project and a project that has a massively active core group of people that love everything about their project. Because in some cases, I actually think it's better when an NFT project just cuts off their mint and says, that's going to be the total amount in this collection. In other cases, I like the slow burn mint out, right? We have the the Wild Goat Gang, which is a project I talked about here um, on the podcast. Shout out to, to them. You know, they were a slow burn, but I... I love like, every time I jump in their Discord, the activity, the camaraderie, the people getting together offline and, um, and, you know, all of those things kind of coming together are pretty amazing. Right. And, and, and then you have like the, like the ultimate of ultimate slow burns, uh, which is the crypto skulls. Right. And, uh, you know, Drew, who's, you know, business partner here on the podcast, uh, shout out to Drew Cohen, um, is a big fan of the crypto skulls project, which is arguably one of the earliest of early, um, NFTs. And apparently that project took three years to mint out, right? Three. I mean, that's like the slowest of all slow burns. But now it's kind of gaining like this like cult-like following. And, and part of it is like the nostalgia and the art, also the nostalgia and like supporting those that have been there before us. But here's the, here's the thing that, that I want us to, to think about. And it's kind of the, the last saying of the Dave Matthews band quote, right? Which is, what would you say? And when I say, what would you say? One of the things I, I want us to look at is, when you're thinking about the projects that you want to be involved in, I'm I am not a flip shamer because I am flipping NFTs myself. I think today I might have listed about 60 NFTs in my bag for sale. Um, I, all kinds of different reasons for doing that, but I have a lot of NFTs that I have um that I've currently li- listed for sale. I'm not I'm not dropping them to the floor to get rid of them, but I'm um, posting them up for some seven day listings uh, right now. But the the thing about this that I think is so interesting. Is that we are often focused about the next blue chip and the next project to take off. But I actually think we should actually look at it and say, what is the next 10 projects that are gonna maintain a two-ETh floor for six months? Because I actually think if we focus more of our attention on the mechanics to become a project that is is you know, one of those projects that has done an amazing job, right? Like, I mean, World of Women might be, you know, they're, they're on their way to like a blue chip level. But I would, you know, I would take a look at a lot of these projects that over the last six months, what are the nuances to them to where they got to a certain point where it just looks like their floor will never dip below a certain amount? Because now we want to be able to build off of that, to learn off of that. And, I, and the other part of this is that, you know, as we come out of this global pandemic, The more we lean into the trends, the more we lean into education, educating the masses, the more we lean into the idea of like entry points, the more I believe a lot of these projects that right now have been kind of stalled out are going to thrive. If, if this is the, this is the thing I'm looking at right now. When people are joining into a new community, if they feel just as welcome, as those that have been there for many months, and it's not about like, hey, you missed out. There's a there's a high likelihood, I believe, that projects like their their all time high is is in the future. There are other projects that are like, when you jump in, you're like, hey, I'm so glad I, I just jumped into the the Discord. I bought my first you know, whatever the NFT is. And people are like, oh, it's about time. What took you so long to get in here? Oh, you only have one of them? Well, these are all of us that have five. And there's almost like this like shaming of like where people come into the entry point. And then the last thing I wanted to kind of just you know mention it and think about this when, you know, the amount of, because this is that weird part about community, right? Community requires people that, 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 that all members of a community feel as though they are giving as much as they are receiving. Now, it doesn't have to be in the exact same transaction, right? So it's not like, if I'm giving this amount of time, I need this amount back in time and return. But it could be something like, I'm giving this amount of money to this project, I want to be able to be get this amount of education, right? Or access to, to networking or whatever it may be. I think a lot of projects right now are in this weird limbo of trying to build a community And they're turning into a network. They're turning into just a a group. And it's kind of like the Facebook groups we've all seen, right? When when Facebook groups get to a certain scale or they've been around for a certain amount of time, what happens to most online Facebook groups? The value starts to go down. People start to stop being as active. The founders stop caring and they kind of plateau out. I believe that the magic of where we need to be looking right now is actually not going back to the early days because times have changed, but not focusing on the future. I actually believe it is that space between, shout out to Dave Matthews Band, on understanding what is that space between these worlds, right? And, and how do we get there, right? How do projects like Mechaverse go from so high to so low, and what are they doing right now to maintain a one floor, right? What are some of the projects that launched recently at a very high mint price? Because, I mean, don't get me started. Like, here's the thing, and I'll kind of wrap on this, is if the price point is higher, people's risk is higher. And in many cases, when their risk is higher, their tolerance for volatility is actually less. Right, Because if they risked more to get in, right, if they they took more of their liquidity, if they borrowed money from their spouse and they were like, this is my one project, if all of a sudden the floor price dips or if the founders are less active, because they took so much risk to get into the project, their likelihood of getting rid of it is, is actually increased. I mean, if I look at my NFTs that are in my bag, when I was listing a bunch of them today, there's a lot of projects in there that I know that I bought into them at 0.04, 0.06 ETH. And I kind of feel like I can just ride with them. And, you know, they've had some, you know, they they get up to 0.5 and they come down. There's other projects that I jumped in at 0.3, 0.4 ETH. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like it's down to 0.18. I'm ready to get the hell out. Like funny enough, like my loss actually there is actually less, but because of that higher risk entry point. And so, I think, you know, the variables that we have to watch for are how many collections are going to shrink their total supply below 5,000? How many projects are going to make the exclusivity, you know, because this is the magic sauce, right? You want to be inclusive, but you want to be exclusive because you want that, you know, for a community to be successful, you need that red rope outside of the nightclub, right? Where when you drive by the nightclub, if there's nobody waiting out in line, you're like, man, that commute, that like that, that nightclub must suck. But then, if you go, if you drive by and like, there's a bunch of people waiting in line. You're like, oh, it must be popping. Now you don't know what's on the inside. They might only be at 30% capacity out there, and they're using this like appearance of of demand to drive people to you know um, you know stop at that at that nightclub. But I think these are the things we have to look at. Is like, what are the how do people get people involved pre uh, launch? How do they keep people involved post-launch and pre-reveal? How do they keep people involved post-reveal and pre-roadmap execution? And then the last thing I'll say, and this kind of goes into what, you know, what would you say, is I don't think a lot of projects right now are thinking a year out. I don't think a lot of NFT projects have decided what are their budget that they need how are they going to get to that budget? What are the transa- What's the transaction volume they need to have over the next six, nine months to make sure they're set up for 12 months from now? And I think that's a scary thing because there are some projects that I know that dropped in July and August that didn't even have a plan for December. And they've been struggling. They've been having a hard time. So with all that being said, you know, I wish all those that are minting Invisible Friends um, best of luck. Uh, I wish everyone that, you know, for me, like part of this that I just love is like, I just love geeking out with the data. Like I spent like last night, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I was going through like just analyzing some of like the, the data on like, okay, what were, what were these five projects floor price um, in middle of December and what are their floor prices now? And what can I, what could I kind of assume or what kind of things can I, leaps can I take to, to assert myself, to understand why those things kind of happened. And so that's kind of the fun for me. I think it's, it, I'm, I'm really not looking at like, what is the next blue chip? I'm looking at what are the next projects that I can, what are, you know, in the next three months, what projects can I get into that I believe will have a five E floor by the end of the uh, end of the year? I actually think if your strategy is there, you're going to have more success then you're trying to figure out what the next board ape is, what the next world of women is, what the next crypto punks is, because I think there's a lot of unknown variables and unknown future, and we don't really know where we are going. But um, I I love looking at that space between. As always, you guys know that we are super powered by the ADHD coin over on Rally. Uh, make sure you guys check it out, ADHD coin dot uh, com and you can uh, get get yourself some ADHD coin. Remember, this is, this is not transaction. You're not sending me coin by you simply holding coin in your portfolio. It actually increases the value of everybody else's coins that are follow, uh, that are holding coin. So if you currently hold ADHD coin. Get friends, get your, your uh, family to get, get in there, you know, buy a couple dollars, 10, 20, 30, a hundred dollars worth of, of ADHD coin. And the, and the more people that we have holding the coin, the more supply of the coin, the higher the, the coin price goes and even the more value that we can provide here um, on the podcast. So until tomorrow, my friends, make it a good one. Cheers.